This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So last week we were in Mark 8, right in the middle of Mark's Gospel. We're doing a series called Disciple by Jesus Life Lessons. We, last week we looked at Jesus the Messiah, where Jesus had asked the question, who do you think I am, who do you say that I am? And, um, and Peter had said, you're the Messiah, you're, that which means you're the Christ or you're the chosen one. And, and we found out that actually that he was right in name, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's wrong in content. He thought that the Messiah was going to uh, be this triumphant king who would come with loads of armies and loads of power and crush all Israel's enemies. And we ended up last week by saying actually that Jesus said that the way that he was going to be the Messiah, the way he was going to rule as a king was, was to go to the cross. He was going to uh, go and suffer and be rejected and go to the cross and he also said for encouraged us to go that way as well so that's where we were and so peter's kind of scandalized by by jesus saying that and he'd said to him he'd said to jesus no 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 you're got, not going to do that and uh, so jesus said to peter get behind me satan you know no don't do that don't say that and so that we we've got this point where actually the disciples are weighing up just think about it because actually in, we can look at it in theory and think yeah 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 um, it's all good uh, the disciples were just inevitably going to stick with Jesus but imagine if you'd said uh, if, if you'd been following a leader and the, the leader had said to you I'm going to go and be crucified and then he says and you've got to come after me and you've got to take up your cross and do the same the thing is that it's not a it wasn't a theoretical thing for them it wasn't like, oh, this is an interesting idea, you know, so how we feel. So I don't know how you, when, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, you don't feel that in the next few months you're likely to be stripped naked, whipped and crucified along the streets in Cheltenham, do you? Hope not. No, you don't. But actually when Jesus said to them, come and take up your cross and follow me, the chances were if Jesus the leader, as it were, of this new movement was crucified, the chances were that lots of them were going to be crucified as well. So that would change it. What if I said, right, you know, we, 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 in the West, we struggle for commitment. We struggle to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm there, heart and soul. We struggle to that. Uh, it's um, probably more so in churches than we do than football fans. But, you know, the reality is we struggle for commitment. And I, if I said to you, right, next Next week, if you start to come here next week, you're liable to be lose your house, lose your home, lose your job, lose your friends. Then the reality was, you know, we may find that, that the numbers even start to slim down. But actually, Paul was in Istanbul, weren't you, on the holidays? And um, when 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 a Muslim becomes a, a Christian in Turkey, although the Christians are allowed to, to meet openly, when a Muslim becomes a Christian in Turkey, that's exactly what happens. They lose their family, their home, they're, they're completely cut off. And in one sense, you'd think, well, that would create less commitment. But I think your comment was, actually, no, that creates more commitment. 
they realize they're, they're all in. And so I think at this point, Jesus, Jesus' disciples are asking, am I all in? Am I sure? Because you, you, know, you can read the Bible backwards, can't we? And think, well, yeah, I know Jesus was going to be crucified. I know he's going to rise from the dead. I know it's going to all end happily ever after. And we were going to be the famous disciples all around the world. But actually, if you, if you live in the moment of them, they would have thought, am I up for that? Am I up to be crucified? Is that, is that okay? And I would say, if, if the disciples weren't thinking that, they weren't human. Yeah, you, you track with me. They, they, they've been thinking... I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. And that's what we talked about last week. So it's interesting. I thought, well, what made them, what made them say, you know, I'm going to stick with Jesus? What, what happens next? What, what made them think, yeah, I'm going to let go of my life, as Jesus says, to find it again. I'm going to not hold tightly to my life, but hold tightly to Jesus. What made them be willing to do that? And I think it's interesting what happens next. It's kind of like a little bit of a, a boost for their faith, it's a little bit of a kind of shot in the arm for them to say, yeah, maybe, maybe victory will follow suffering. Maybe the difficult periods in their life or the challenges that they face will come through and God will keep his promises and, and it will be as we thought it would be. In other words, it all ends happily ever after, which is what the good stories are supposed to be. Unless you get, well, I suppose I went to see 12 years as a slave yesterday. Most harrowing film I've seen in a long, long time. But at least he does get free in the end. I don't want to spoil it, but you know. It's true, you know. It's all in the trailer. It's all in the trailer. But 12 years a slave, it's not forever. Oh, yeah. It's like some, yeah, Andy says, somebody went to Passion of the Christ and said, Jesus dies at the end of the film. Oh, no. <laughs> Where was I? I can't remember. That was nothing... Yeah, and so we like to feel that a nice story should end well. But they're in the middle of it and thinking, I'm not so sure. Is this going to end as we thought? And, and we, can, we can relate to that. And so what happens next is Jesus does two things. First, he reassures them and then blows, us, blows their socks off. So let's just read. Truly, I tell you, some, some who are standing here, this is quite reassuring, will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come in power. So that's quite reassuring, isn't it? Saying, actually, it, it, the happy ending is going to be before you die. You're not just going to die and wonder what's happened. There is a happy ending before you die. Uh, there's obviously discussion about what the happy ending will be, and we see later on maybe what that, uh, a hint of that happy ending is. And then we get to what's called the transfiguration. It's, it's, it reads like this, verse 2. After six days, it's quite important that, six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. In fact, we have a, a thing in this church called Threes, where you meet together, pray, challenge each other to live gospel lives and just be mates and kind of share your stuff and pray for forgiveness. We have that. I, I, I don't think Jesus needed to pray for forgiveness, but he did have a three, it seems, didn't he? He had like a group. And I don't know how the others would have felt. I mean, Peter, James and John were in this three with Jesus and the other ones had to have threes amongst themselves, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus has got this three, this inner group, Peter, James and John, two brothers and Peter. And he says he, he with him and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And they appeared before them, Elijah 
and Moses who were talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, it's good for us to be here. Uh, Let's put up three tents, uh, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what what to say because he was so frightened or they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around and there was no longer anyone with them except Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Interesting discussion there. What does it mean, rising from the dead? I think they're asking, does it include us or just him? What does it mean? Is it real or is it just a ghost? What, what does it really mean? I, they had this discussion, uh, what rising from the dead meant. And then said, and then jumping to verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, so they got to the bottom of the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus comes down the mountain into kind of real life. Arguments, stress, crowds, all that. So that's, so that's where we're going. And I think it's interesting to, uh, to see Let's follow this kind of journey and see what, what, what life lessons Jesus is teaching them. So the first thing then in verse 2, it says, after six days, let's play biblical theology. It, when you hear six days, you think of, it should be one you think of obviously and one you probably don't think of. What's the obvious one, Span? Creation. Six days, God does something, creates something, makes something, and on the seventh day, he rests. Yeah. So there's a hint, something about uh, about God doing something and then resting and there's a kind of hint that this is going to be a picture or an image of of God at rest God who he truly is not God at work but God at rest okay so there's that but the, if you if you dig deeper actually 6 days is also the time when Moses is on the top of the mountain do anyone know what the mountain <coughs> was called and what happened on there the mountain was called Mount Sinai it's in the desert between uh, Egypt and Israel at Mount Sinai, and he's on the, the mountain for six days. He encounters God uh, in a what? In a cloud, and God gives Moses the law. Yeah? Okay? And also, there's a whole lot of it, bits and pieces going on in there, but also what else is happening in that moment? Does anyone know what else happens in that moment? Yeah, Moses says, I want to see your glory. So just hold that. So that's kind of there. Now what happens, it's funny that, that they go up to Mount Sinai happened after when? What had gone before Mount Sinai? They'd been where and what? They'd been in the desert, but before that they'd been slaves in Egypt. So this is a kind of salvation story as well, where they'd been slaves in Egypt, they weren't a nation, they weren't a people, God had seemed to abandon them, and then God had carried them with eagle's wings, which is probably why I prayed that prayer when it came in the song. God had carried them with eagle's wings and brought them to that place. He said, I brought you to this place. I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. And so that's kind of interesting. So six days kind of points to that. And the fact there's a mountain in there might give a good clue. Mark slices it six days. Up the mountain, six days. Now, it's funny, you can uh, hear Peter talking or telling the tale. That obviously, Mark's, what happened with Mark's gospel, it's, I think the people think that Mark interviewed Peter. 
or Mark was one of Peter's servants. There's a suggestion that, that Mark is the guy that runs out of the garden. After Jesus, after Peter cuts off the high priest's ear, one, one young guy runs away and loses all his clothes. They grab his cloak and he runs away naked. They reckon, that, they think that might be Mark. So he's kind of around, he's a young guy who's around and he knows Peter. When he writes his gospel, he's, he's interviewing Peter. So you can almost hear Peter, can't you? On the mountain if you read it. Jesus was transfigured. It says before them, but actually it's before us. It's almost like we're on the mountain and, and we'd gone up. We didn't know what was going to happen. We, we maybe thought we'd gone up to pray or, you know, we'd been like this before. Suddenly, Jesus is cha- changed before us. And, and you can hear Peter trying to kind of describe how bright it was. You know, he says, so it's, it's, it's brighter than any kind of washing machine powder. You know, brighter than any bleach could bleach it. His, his clothes shine so brightly, it was like impossible to describe. I, I, you know, he's struggling to describe it. And then he says, and guess what? Moses and Elijah were there. Mark says, how do you know it was Jesus, Moses and Elijah? But, but, and Peter says, don't ask difficult questions. <laughs> and he kind of knew, I don't know, did they have a badge? I'm Moses, I'm Elijah, one had a beard, one had a staff. We don't really know. But he just, he says, and you just, Moses and Elijah were there. And they're talking to Jesus. They're not shining brightly. And he is. He's shining really brightly. And they're talking to him. And he says, you know, I was just like, I didn't know what to say. I was scared stiff. You know, God is shining so brightly. I, I know I'd made some stupid comments earlier on. Uh, um, you know, I was wondering what's going to happen. And, and, and I said, why don't we make some tents? <laughs> let's, let's do Bible Week or West Point or whatever it is. Let's put some tents up and have a, have a camp. <laughs> and, and, you know, he said, and then he, he adds, and Mark says, that's a daft thing to say. Isn't it? Yeah, I didn't know what to say. I was so frightened. <laughs> But, and you can hear Peter coming through. This is a real encounter. This isn't some little story. This is Peter like, whoa, what's going on? And it's interesting, isn't it, that um, why was Peter afraid? I've given you one hint, but there's a bigger picture as well. Why was Peter afraid? He was afraid because he'd said something stupid and, and, and Jesus, who was the bright, shining one who looked a lot like God at that time, had said to him, get behind me, Satan. That made him kind of slightly afraid. But what else might have made him afraid? If you know the Sinai story, when Moses went up the mountain, where, where were the people? At the bottom, what, what God says, you can't, and they said, we can't go up. We might die. In fact, when Moses asked to see God's glory... He says, come on then, show, show me who you really are, God. I'd love to see who you are. I want you. And I feel, don't we all feel that? Oh, I'd love to see God who you really are. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just turned up, just shone really bright? I mean, nice if he turned up without shining brightly. But it'd be amazing for him to turn up shining bright. You know, wouldn't that be nice to have that encounter? And we feel, God, show me who you are. Show me your goodness. And I think, that, I think it actually it says, it, it says Exodus 33, show me your glory. And I wrote, Moses had begged to see God's infinite worth and unimaginable bright radiance of God's goodness. But God had replied, I will cause all my goodness, that's his glory, all his goodness, to pass in front of you. Yet you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the, a gap or a crack in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. But my face must not be seen. Moses is not able to see God directly. He's not able to see God's face directly because God is so pure and holy and good that seeing God's face directly would, would like burn him up. 
It's a bit like a su- the sun and the snowball. If you put the snowball in the sun for long enough, it burns it up. There's something incompatible about God and His goodness, or holiness is another word for that, and our lack of goodness or sin. There's something incompatible. And so Peter's not only aware that he said stupid things, but he feels like all of us, when he counters something mighty like an angel, but certainly you see Jesus shining brightly, you think, oh my word, what am I like? What am I like? And he doesn't know what to say. So he blurts out, let's put up a tent. Does anyone know what the, the, the Bible word for tent is? Bible word for tent? Tent would be good. In the Hebrew, it may, it's, begins with T also. Tabernacle. Right. So he's saying, let's put up some tents. Let's put some tabernacles up. Now the tabernacle was what Moses was told to build to meet God. It was like this big tent. In one end of the tent, there was like this place where God would be. And then further out, there was like a, another place with curtains. And then further out from that, there was like an altar. And then further out from that, there was like a general kind of tented off area. A bit like we had at West Point. You know, nicely fenced. And it was kind of like that. And it, why do you think Peter says, let's build a tabernacle? It, to contain God. Yes, believe Rachel. To contain God. He's thinking, whoa, this is scary. Let's contain this. Let's put God in there. Let's put God in that box there. And I'll stand way back here and we'll have some sacrifices if I'm going to go close to God, but he's not going to come too close to me. And so he's saying, let's have an acolym. And it's so interesting that we, when we encounter God, we want to box him off. Part of us says, wouldn't it be amazing to see God in his glory? And another part of us says, that would be terrible. Because I'm so bad. You know, I know what I'm like. And, and, and what happens when the tabernacle's built, the first time it's kind of like they have their opening ceremony and Moses cuts the ribbon, I don't know, or they, they didn't have a stone, but they cut the ribbon and they're like, hey guys, it's open, come on. What happens, a little hint, fire falls from heaven and a cloud fills it. Now, what's the thing that follows after the tabernacle in the Bible? We will get to some application for you, but it's all good to know the Bible. The temple. What? The temple's built. So David wants to build the temple. He says, a bit like uh, Peter, can I build a tent for you? And, and, and God says, no, you can't because you've killed too many people. David feels got it at that point. Uh, but he says, but your son is going to build a tent for me, tabernacle, a house for me. So he builds a temple, it takes years and years and years, loads and pots and pots and pots of money. And when they cut, when they open the stone, this was opened by David in blah, 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 yeah, whatever. Or when they go in, what happens? Fire falls and cloud. There's a song, actually, that by Matt Redman. It said, uh, and then the fire fell. Uh, they knelt upon the ground and the glory came. Yeah? And they feel like, And that's what's happened. So what happens is Peter says, we want to contain God. And he's called, he says, let's, let's, let's build some tabernacles. This is a good place. And also there's a good thing about that. It says, it means we can contain God. And then when we want him, 
We can go. When we w- and we can do that. They'd be... <laughs> Wait, do you do that with God? Oh, I really like a great and glorious God who comes through for me and does amazing things for me and is the mighty Messiah that I thought. But actually, what, what we want is we could quite like him in just over there and helpful when we need him. So I'm making a decision about... No, this is hypothetical. It's not me. One is making a decision about my relationships. Yeah? And you think, mm, I'll just keep God in there while I make that decision. Yeah, I will sleep with her. Yeah, I, we will do that. Yeah, we will do that. Yeah, 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 we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, she's not a Christian. He's well, That's fine. I'll make my decisions. And then there's other times I think, man, you know, I, cancer's come. God, please, please. And we do that, don't we? And, and, and Peter kind of wants to, to put some religion around God because it makes it closer and safer. You do it with your money. It's not just relationships, it's money, it's time, it's energy, it's your thoughts, it's the things you say, it's the things you look at. It's, you can say, God's not involved in that, but now I'd like him involved. And we can do that with church. We divide it. We said about that last week. You can divide up secular. That's, 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 that's my world. Sorry, it's going this way, isn't it? That's my world, and this is God's. And Peter wants to kind of do that. He wants to manage the experience but what happens before Peter's had any chance to get an answer? He submitted his email to God. He sent his request to God. Is let's build some, let's build three tents. What Jesus would say? Hang on, Moses, Elijah. Let me just answer. Well, Peter, this it doesn't do that, does it? Before any question is answered, what happens? What happens in the narrative, the story? A cloud comes. What does that say? says the temple's finished. You don't have to build one, Peter. It's already built. The glory of God is coming down. And he's suddenly, a cloud comes down. Uh, you know, you can, you can get all kind of excited when people use the word Shekinah. But that's what it means. It means like a glory cloud. That actually right there, in their day-to-day, there's God's glory comes down. This cloud of glory. And, and the word that, the, that Mark uses is, it, it envelops them. It wraps around Jesus. Now that word enveloped is only used a couple of times. It's used for those two times in, when the cloud came down in the tabernacle. The cloud envelops the tabernacle. It's used when, when the cloud comes down and envelops the temple. But also, it's the same word that's used when Mary is told she's going to have a baby. Does anyone know what the angel says to Mary? The Spirit of God will, what do we usually get? Overshadow. Is it there? <laughs> oh, spandy. Yes, Mary gets this, the word envelop or overshadow, it's the same thing. The Spirit of God's going to come on Mary, where she is in her day to day, and say, actually, the Spirit of God's going to embrace you, it's going to envelop you, and you're going to give birth to something. You're going to give birth to Jesus. What's it saying about Jesus there? What's all that stuff saying about Jesus? Think about it. Temple, tabernacle, baby. He's saying they're the same. Here is God with us. Not in a box, not in a building, in a man. 
God with us. God's here. God's here. At that point, when the cloud comes down, just hold the tension. Peter would have thought, oh, I am really done now. At this point, God's going to kill me. I think he would have thought that. It's funny, as uh, last night, well, it's not funny, but last night I tweeted something. It said, just about to go and watch 12, yeah, I know. Just about to go and watch 12 years as a slave. I don't know if it's, it's going to be more harrowing than 47 years as a Leeds fan. Leeds have just lost 6-0, I know. I thought it was funny. I, but as I watched the film, I thought, it's stupid. What a stupid thing to say. I turn on my phone as Nemi goes to the restroom, and I turn on my phone, and my phone goes, ding, 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 ding. 3,000 people had read this stupid tweet of mine. <laughs> Terry Virgo had retweeted it. The only time Terry Virgo retweets one of my tweets is when I'm stupid. Thank you, Jesus. Some guy from Northern Ireland had said, I hope you reconsider your comment when you come out from the cinema. And I thought, I already had. So what did I do? Delete. Facebook link, delete the link. Tweet, delete. And I tweeted, I am so sorry to equate that with that. You know, but it's still there, isn't it? And I felt ashamed. Peter did a little tweet, didn't he? Peter did a little tweet. Jesus, if you're the Messiah, there's no way you should go to the cross. Tweet. Jesus retweets and comments, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And Peter thinks... At this point, I've just seen Jesus bright shining. I would like to delete. I feel God is about to delete me. No. Can you feel that tension? Because I, as I read it, I thought, man, I've, thank you for that illustration, Jesus. You know, I would have preferred not to have it. But you know, he can't take it back, can he? It's written down. He can't take it back. And the cloud comes down and he thinks, I'm going to die. What does the voice say from the cloud? What did the voice say from the cloud? This is my son, whom I love. Nice so far. Listen to him! <laughs> I'm sorry, I wish I had. I'm definitely going to die now. Now, it's interesting, that listen to him, if you dig around, actually, what happened, Hold the tabernacle thought, after when Moses was up on the mountain and all the Israelites stayed at a distance doing what they shouldn't have been doing but but they, they when Moses came down his face was really shining brightly and he had to cover it with a veil because whoa it was too bright and they said to him this is a really it's very good that you can go go up to God and talk to God for us but we would like you to just do that because we want to stay here at a rather safe distance yeah and what's happened is, uh, he then, then says, God's, it, so it says that in Deuteronomy 5, and then in Deuteronomy 18, God says, that's a good idea. He says, I'll send a prophet like me. So Moses is saying God's word. I will send a prophet like me. Listen to him. 
listen to him. So they're looking for a prophet to listen to. Peter's just not listened to him. Feels bad, but, but there's a sense of, that I'm sending a prophet, listen to him. Now it's interesting, it's a bit ambiguous. Who is the prophet? I'll send a prophet like me. Who's the, who's the, who's the prophet like? There's possible, two possible answers. It's like me, as in Moses, or it's like me, as in God. This is both. He's like Moses brings his people from freedom, but he's like God. Jesus is another one like God. He says is the exact representation. Here's another one. So suddenly Peter's realizing this is not just some Messiah, but this is God. And I've taught him to shut up. So I think there's a probably a, I mean, there's probably a face down moment. If I was, if I was, if I was Peter, this is what would be happening to me. Peter's got this face down. He's making himself as small as possible. He's making himself face down and covering his eyes because he's, he doesn't know what's about to happen. He falls on his face, face down, and he, he, he doesn't know what's about to happen. And then it's amazing that it says, what does it say? What comes next? Cloud, voice, and then it says, suddenly they looked around and saw no one except Jesus alone. So I was like, whoa, I didn't die. I didn't die. I've seen the face of God and I've not died. And and I think it, it almost like says, and they looked around. So they're obviously down there and they've looked around. And instead of death, they see who? Jesus, who is the risen one, who they're seeing like as the risen one, the one who brings life. Instead of the laws of Moses, what do they see? Jesus, the one who perfectly keeps every rule. So you don't have to. Instead of Elijah, they see a prophet like God. Instead of a temple, they see Jesus, God with us. Instead of a voice, they see Jesus who is the Word of God. They see Jesus only. I think almost like Peter, James and John are just kind of left blinking in the light. <sighs> Out of breath. <sighs> I've encountered God and I'm alive, but, but I've just seen God for who He truly, truly is. John in his gospel writes this, says, We beheld his glory. The glory of God's one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This encounter they just had is an encounter called worship. Tim Keller puts it like this, Worship is the preview of the only thing that our heart is longing for, whether we like it or not. Peter was longing for to see Jesus, just like Moses was longing to see God. There's something in the heart of Peter and James and John, something in the heart of, of, of Moses, but something in the heart of all of us that said, oh, I 
just would want to see him. I wrote this right at the very start of the of our series, but I, I put it on the slide. It can take the whole of our lives to realise the more we fill our hearts with what the world's promises can give life, the less alive we feel. The less alive we truly are. Our lives have been created with a capacity for eternity. Anything less than the eternal Jesus arouses our hunger without the ability to satisfy. When we worship Jesus, the door we've been knocking on all our lives opens at last. And they get that moment where you think, suddenly they feel, like Peter, I feel it feels dangerous, but I want to stay here. Let's build something permanent. I want to stay. I want to, I want to bottle this feeling. And I don't know if you've ever been, if, if you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, actually, I didn't realize Jesus was the one I was looking for. But if you are a Christian, you might be thinking, actually, I've had those kind of moments where you think, I've, I've met God in worship. Now, as I said, I've never been in a glory cloud. I, I, I've never, you know, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But there's been times in worship where, where I felt enveloped by God or embraced by God. I felt that he kind of suddenly, suddenly he's come really close and, and I felt him, if I open my eyes, I'll see him. Just him only, really. You know, in the sense of not Moses and Elijah and lots of bright lights, you can be in some kind of setting and there's music and a band and lots of people worshipping. And, but yet the moment comes where you feel, if I, if I open my eyes, I'm going to see just him. And those moments are incredibly precious, aren't they? Incredibly precious, you think. And I feel that, 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 that actually they're not so rare as we think they are. They're not so rare as we think they are. I mean, the, we sing that song, and I love it, that says, Waiting Here For You. The movement there between he's already here and we feel him here is, I don't, you, some of you might disagree with me, I don't believe is his movement. It's ours. It's our movement. We kind of find ourselves moving to that place where it's, it's, it, we're hungry for him. It's, it's him that we want. And instead of coming to something that's nicely boxed off and tightly contained and a couple of hours on Sunday that we come in and we're worried about our week and we're worried about all these other emotional moments and we're worried about did the band play well and uh, you know they did uh, and did they choose songs that I like yes <laughs> is the crowd large enough to get for me to get that kind of cold play gig kind of vibe you know or does it feel like a really bad pub gig yeah, and we, we, we come in to worship, don't we, with all that stuff, don't we? We come in and say, well, we say, is God here? And we start to tick our list. There's not many people. Probably God goes to big churches only. Well, there's the, the band, yeah, they're okay, but yeah, well, I don't like that song. We sang an old hymn, it said, thy in there. Well, I didn't mind that, by the way. It's not me, I'm hypothetical. You know, we go through our little checklist, don't we? And do you know what's happened? Before we know it, God's in there, and we're right over here. We're right over here, and we go away and say, you know, I haven't met with God for so long in this church. There's something wrong with the church. 
What's wrong with this church? You know how it just needs to be more charismatic, less charismatic, speak longer, no, speak shorter, give us more time, whatever. We need to put hands on people at the front. We don't we don't because it's embarrassing. All whatever things. And we've done all those kind of things and we've gone like Peter and we've kind of boxed it all off. But sometimes when we're trying to box it off, and this is why God is so great, when we're trying to box it off and say, we'll just build some tents for you, God just comes anyway. And I know that's what's happened for me. That There was a one time when I was a long way from God. I'd kind of become a Christian. And I, I you know, I, I, it, was a, it wasn't a fake thing, it was real. But I'd made some choices over here, like I'd said, that didn't include God, and gradually I found that God's, yeah, I believed in him, but he was a lot further away and I never encountered him and further away than I thought. And then what happened, a friend of mine said, let's go to this meeting. I'd said this before, he took me on holiday, so it was hard to say no. We'd had a few great holidays. And then he said, I want you to go to this church weekend. You know, let's put up some tents, I think he probably said. And we went to this church weekend and I just was thinking, I'm too bad. I've slept with that person. I've lied about that, I've done that, I've said that I'm too bad, God just deserves to just burn me up can I, can I take it back can I delete the foolish moments and the silly things, can I delete those things and I, but before I even thought about it, God comes whoosh so sometimes he comes out and I just was like, oh it's you only it's you that I want. You're the one. This is my beloved son in whom I love. I heard that about Jesus, but I heard it about me. And I thought, wow, amazing, amazing. What happened is I, was, uh, I went, I was school teaching at the time. And when I went back to my <clears throat> sixth form class after the summer in Oxford, my sixth form class said, there's just something about you. There's just something about you. What happened to you? And I said, I think I've become a Christian again. And they said, I didn't even know you were a Christian before. I said, no, you wouldn't have. But it was like, wow. And God kind of came out and, and I felt his embrace. I felt him come close. But the problem is, if I think, well, that's just a moment where God came out sovereignly, what it's got to do is to cause me and to cause you to do what? Move to him. So when we come to worship, what I want to encourage you, if this is the only takeaway as a finish, the only takeaway is when you come to worship, I want you to come to him. I want you to say, not we're going to put him in a little box over there, but we, I want him. It's him that I want. I come hungry. I come hungry when I meet as God first. When you do prayer and praise in your gospel community, I come hungry. Not I come hungry just for food. We're good at that. But I come hungry for you. I mean, it's sad we get people, God first communities do prayer and praise together and there's three people, four people. There's 15 on the list and four people are there. Well, God will just have you nicely in there. But actually, we should say, I'm coming hungry. We have a prayer meeting and there's not many people there. We've got to come hungry. I'm not telling you off. I'm saying, do you feel my hunger? Guys, we've got to come hungry. It's not, worship is not an entertainment or part of a performance. It's a heart cry. We want to see Jesus. Show me your glory. Paul says this, doesn't he? He says, and in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a tabernacle. 
a tent, a dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. The same thing that happens to Mary happens to us as we worship. The Spirit of God comes in and folds us and something's birthed inside of us, something, faith, oh, I can believe you, energy, I'm going to stick with you. Even if it means I've got to suffer and be rejected, I'm going to go there. And that's what's birthed in Peter. Something's birthed in him. Something just, yeah, I believe God. And when we come together, that's, that's what's happened by God's Spirit. He's, where does God dwell now? In us. Not you on your own in you small western individualistic small corner in us. When there's an us, God's there. Every church that loves Jesus in this town, God is there. He loves to dwell in us. We don't have to go searching for him. John Wimber once said, people are great at crossing the world to go to conferences, but not very good at crossing their bedroom floor to meet Jesus. I like to go to conferences. Well, God's there. And I'm not saying there's nothing bad about conferences. But if we believe that God's not here, if we believe that God's not with us, if God's not tabernacled with us, if we're not God's new temple, if we're not the people made pure by the blood of Jesus that we live righteously so we don't need Moses' law, if we're not the one who he listens to God's voice and obey it, then, then who are we? We're not a church at all. We can put God first on it, but we're no one. So what happens is they've had this amazing encounter and, and there's a hunger. And, and, and it's, Tim Keller says, God almost puts strength in them. Yeah, I'm going to go to the cross. No question now. I've seen you for who you are. I'm going to go to the cross. And you say, well, if I saw for Jesus for who he is, then I go to the cross. Well, how did you become a Christian? Because that's how you become a Christian, isn't it? You don't say, I've got that sorted. I understand the transfiguration, I understand uh, this and this, I understand this and this and this, and then ticked all my doctrine, done my Port Brook learning, got it all sorted, now I'm a Christian. There's something happens in you where the Spirit of God overshadows you, envelops you, and you say, oh, new birth. And it's the same in worship. It's almost like getting saved all over again. You come and repent and say, oh man, I deserve to be deleted. <laughs> you know, but I know that actually I look at your face and live and be re-energized and faith comes. So let's say we've got a church like that. Please Lord, do it. Let's say we've got a church like that. What happens next? What happens next? It finishes it off just quickly. They go down. So imagine this was the glory cloud had just happened. Please, Father, we'll have a worship in a minute and see. <laughs> but let's say the glory cloud had happened and we're all bright, shining faces and we've encountered Jesus and we've drawn close to him. We go out and down. And the first thing that Jesus encounters is a row. If you read more, his disciples are messed up. They don't believe. Moses went down the mountain. What did he see? The people having a big orgy, making a golden calf. And he goes up. I'm done. Jesus comes down the mountain. His disciples, thankfully, are not having an orgy, but they're messing up. He says to them exactly the same thing as Moses said to, to, to these people of Israel. You unbelieving generation. He says the same thing, and it's like he's straight into it. What does, what does, what do Peter, what do Peter and James and John must have thought? Well, they just need more glory time. 
Peter, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you just need to pray more. You just need to pray more. If you want to win victories, you just need to pray more. And the, the crowds were in awe of Jesus and they all ran to him. Let's imagine this. Imagine a world where we come together, you know, and, and, and it's well encountered with God. And what happens is we go out and we go to work and people say, what happened to you this weekend? Or we're in our, on our knees before God on our own, or we're praying in our threes, or we have a pre- prayer and praise time in our, in our God's first communities, and we go to work, and we're not like, carrying the Bible, here's a hint. Christian. No, we're just doing our stuff, and people say, what happened to you? What is it about you? Now, the reality is, we're not going to shine as brightly as Jesus, so the crowds are not going to run to us. But that is what we believe as we go out of here, having been faced down, having had said, Jesus, we're hungry for you, having worshipped him, we go out. And you know what's happened? We go out into a world, into the valley that doesn't believe. They're not, they may not run and greet him. They might say, Alpha course, no way. Christian, not interested. They might hate you because of Jesus, but they might love Jesus because of you. And so when we go out, that's what we do on Sundays. We're saying, God, we come hungry. Come envelop us in the cloud. Come and overshadow us. Come and birth some new things in us. Come and, even though we deserved because of our sin to die, that we find life and wholeness in Him. I think worship is a wonderful gift from God. It is not a gift for God. As if He needs anything. It's a gift for us. Because we need Him. We need Him so we go out of here bright, shining, full of faith. Oh, but you're going to the cross. I'm willing to go in there. Because I stood there and I've seen Him week after week, day after day, doing my Bible time, whatever. Now it's not going to feel like God comes close all the time and envelops us in the cloud. But we've got to believe that God's here and with us. And we've got to come hungry in expectation. And sometimes God's going to burst out of the little boxes that we put him in. Amen? Let's worship. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.